Please take your Bibles and let's go to the end of Acts chapter 6 as we finally return back to our Sunday night series through the book of Acts. I would like to apologize for how sporadic this series has been so far this year. In fact, we didn't even meet on a Sunday night in this book in all of July. And so we're moving at a very slow pace here. This is our 32nd Sunday night service, but this is only our 11th installment this year. So that gives you an idea. A lot of reasons for why this is the case, and I certainly hope things will normalize a bit once we get in past family camp, at least for me. That's when things will hopefully kind of get back to normal. Tonight, we return to the events that eventually lead to Stephen being martyred. Remember, Stephen was among the seven men selected by the church to help take care of the Grecian widows. They had been neglected while the Hebrew... (laughs) It's real funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now I got to edit all this from the podcast. This is just bad. All right. Let's try that one again. The Grecian widows were being neglected while the Hebrew widows were being cared for. (laughs) We had fun this morning, didn't we? I don't know how I read that chapter, but... um, I figured nobody's going to listen to me read all of Genesis 10. Let's, let's make it interesting. And hopefully it kept you in tune. <laughs> anyway, my mind's in a different mindset is all I'm saying. So we're told here in verse 5, when Stephen was, was chosen, that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And last time we saw it stated again in verse 8, that Stephen was also full of power which makes sense because he's full of the Holy Ghost. And you cannot separate the two. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And through this faith and power, Stephen was doing great wonders and miracles among the people. And as a Grecian himself, Stephen is the first one in the New Testament, who was not an apostle to perform miracles. We've seen throughout this study so far in the book of Acts, this trend, this volley, if you will, that is taking place. God is at work, the enemies show up, right? Listen, God was at work, the enemy tried to attack from the outside, that didn't work. God was at work, the enemy tried to attack from the inside, that didn't work. God was at work, they tried to attack from the outside, that didn't work, and it just keeps going back and forth. And so what we need to understand, obviously, is that a a church can be blessed but still have attacks. In fact, we should expect that. Because here they are doing great things, and yet Satan is at work here. God is at work, the enemies show up. And in this account, the enemies don't show up as the temple crowd. It shows up as the synagogue crowd. 
And the enemies are often the religious folks. Most people that are lost and could care less don't really care. And so the religious crowd shows up to stir up trouble. They're disputing with Stephen. What's interesting is this crowd, they're also Grecians. And perhaps they're disputing with Stephen because he was one of them once. But they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Therefore, in reality, they are disputing with God. And you're never going to win that one. And so the emphasis last time was how we need to be a people full of faith, full of the power of the Holy Ghost. We need to be well-versed in God's Word. If we will do this, then we'll be effective witnesses for Christ. It's not that all are going to receive Christ. But we don't want God's wisdom to be resisted. So let's do our part. We need to be vessels that are meet for the Master's use. Vessels that are fillable. We need to be full of faith and then go out and tell others. We don't want any to reject Christ, but if they do, let's make sure they have decided to willfully reject Him and not that we have failed in giving them the Word of God. Well, this brings us to where we left off in verse 11. Let's read uh, verses 8 through 15. We'll get a little bit of context and then jump back in here. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And there arose certain of the synagogues, which is the synagogue of the Libertines, the Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, and the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. This account seems all too familiar, doesn't it? We've seen this somewhere before. You remember during the rest of the, at the arrest of Jesus, a lot of these things were taking place as well. There's a lot of similarities here. And this should not be surprising to us because Satan has used the same tactics over and over again throughout history. Therefore, we don't have to be ignorant of his devices, lest he should get an advantage over us. It should come as no surprise that the enemy seeks to infiltrate governments. After all, what does the Bible say? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the rulers of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're wrestling against principalities. It will be manifested in the flesh, but we don't wrestle flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We see in our text how Satan is still maintaining here a stronghold in their religious governing body in Jerusalem. And their influence extended out to the synagogues, wherever the children of Israel had been scattered. 
the reason this religious governing body was corrupted was because their religion was corrupted. This is important when you think about our day. You see, religion is the playground of Satan. We often say man-made religion, but actually it's Satan-made religion. Satan wants people kept from the truth of the freeing power of the gospel. That can only come through a relationship with Christ. So he seeks to keep people bound in the false doctrines of religion. When somebody is steeped in religion, their conscience is soothed to an extent. Because they look at their quote-unquote good works and they are happy with that. The problem is the heart never changes. Amen. And a variant of this can even happen to people in good churches with good doctrine. Churches like this. It can still happen to people. If you attend here, but you have never been born again, then you are only maintaining a religious routine. You are yet in your sins. You're lost in your Baptist religion of good works, which can never save. It's not false doctrine then for those in that category that is holding you back, but it's your pride, which is keeping you from being saved because you have become convinced you're going to be embarrassed. How am I going to feel if somebody realizes that I've been living a lie? We're going to say amen if you get saved. Because we were there once. Somehow you, you've got this idea that you're going to be shamed. Well, that man preached before. Now, preachers can get saved. Whoop. Well... How can I make a public profession of Christ now? And Satan continues to keep you bound by your pride. I've said it many times, we'll rejoice with you. If you were to swallow your pride, come to Christ. And I can assure you, nobody here will shame you. If they do, I will take care of the issue. (laughs) We will not embarrass you for getting your heart right with God. Hey, thank God I was saved out of the Baptist religion. My parents kept me in good doctrine. Right? And maybe I did some good things along the way. But that never saves. And so even though I was in right doctrine, I was even in a Baptist church, it wasn't until the Word of God reached my heart and I received Christ's free gift of salvation that I was freed from my form of religion and began to enjoy liberty that is found in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Whoop! What happened? I had to make it personal. That's the struggle with many who are raised in churches like ours. They can give mental assent to the truth that Christ died for all. But have they made it personal? People who grow up in churches like ours, they know right doctrine. But can they say, my beloved is mine? And I am His. 
Now, what happened in Israel, Judea at this point, what happened that led to them drowning in their own religion? Because Paul wrote in Romans 3 that they were profited every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. They had the Word of God, and therefore they should have known better. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Had they simply trusted in the Word of God, there would have been no issues. But they corrupted the law of God through the traditions of their fathers. And that oral law became the standard of their own righteousness. Mark 7, verses 7 through 9, and then verse 13. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition making the Word of God of none effect through your own tradition. And through their corruption of the law of God, what they did was, and this is where where it's important in our text, they elevated Moses to a place that Moses never deserved to be elevated to, because Moses is just another man. And they elevated Moses to the place of God. Notice the wording at the end of verse 11. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, Luke is the penman here of the book of Acts. He's under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And this is not an accident that it's worded this way, that Moses is mentioned before God. This is what happens in religion. Man, people, humans are elevated to an equal position with God or they are treated as a God. Judaism, to this day, still sees, Mo- still sees Moses above Jesus. Islam has elevated Muhammad above Christ. Buddhism elevates the teaching of Buddha to a godlike level. The Baha'i faith elevates all religions to the same level. Confucianism elevates the words of Confucius above the Word of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they elevate Charles Taz Russell's teaching above the Word of God. The Mormons elevate Joseph Smith's so-called revelations above the already revealed Word of God. What do all these religions have in common? They have rejected the Word of God. Therefore, they do not believe Jesus was God in the flesh. 
That's the difference. John the Beloved, he called this the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John 2.22 Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. 1 John 4 verses 2 and 3 Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Second John, verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. Religion denies who Christ is. And though the Catholics will say that Jesus was God in the flesh, their religious actions demonstrate they believe that others are worthy of the same status of Jesus. They have elevated Mary to the same place as God. And in many respects, she is worshipped above Christ. I'm your friend tonight. Don't get mad at me. But there's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. There is no mediatrix. Catholics have a habit of elevating others to positions of worship as well. Read their prayers sometimes that they offer to the so-called saints and you'll quickly see how they elevate men to the place of God. While the Bible is clear, we're not to put our trust in men. Religions truly are the strongholds of Satan. And he uses the same tactic over and over again. Reject the Word of God, minimize Christ, or reject Him as God in the flesh. And this is something Jesus dealt with when He was among them. He dealt with them rejecting the Scriptures and elevating Moses. John 5, 39 and verses 45 through 7, Jesus said, search the Scriptures. That's a good place to start. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Peter addressed this in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, after the crippled beggar was healed. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. If Moses was alive, he would tell the Jews today, Stop worshiping me. Stephen's going to address this in the next chapter when he will say before the council, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear. And the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18.15 is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Stephen had not said anything blasphemous against Moses. He had not said anything blasphemous against God. 
But because Stephen dared to preach against their corrupt religion, we see in verse 11 that they suborned men. As I mentioned last time, this means they found those who would perjure themselves. They would lie against Stephen. This usually included some form of bribe money for those who would lie. It's like when the council bribed the soldiers to lie with a large sum of money saying to them, you need to tell this story. Tell everybody that Jesus' disciples came by night and they stole the body. And they paid them off. It's the same thing here. And now we see how Satan, he's using the same tactic he used against Jesus. Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. There's so many similarities here in, at the end of chapter 6 with Christ. I, I think it's very significant. And I won't get into my opinions as why, but... I think it's very significant that it's mirroring a lot of what Christ went through. In verse 12, and they stirred up the people. We saw this with Jesus as well. Matthew 27, 20, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And this is what led to them crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Continuing in verse 12, we see the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. They forcefully, here this is the, the idea, they're forcefully taking him. They're coming upon him and they're bringing him before the council. After Jesus was betrayed and arrested, we read in Matthew 26, 57, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Look at verse 13 where they set up false witnesses. When Jesus was on trial, we read in Matthew 26, 60, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses. The charge laid against Stephen was this, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And they continue in verse 14, For we have heard him say that, th that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. What did the false witnesses charge Jesus with? Matthew 26, 61. And they said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And so they were guilty of perverting the law of God in their own corrupted form of oral law. They elevated Moses to a place of worship on par with God. They worshiped the temple that was made with hands. And no wonder they missed Christ. Because that's what religion does. It blinds people. And now they want to condemn an innocent man to death. Having seen these similarities in Satan's tactics against Jesus, I want to go back now and reconsider this a little bit more in depth. Notice in verse 12, they stirred up the people. Heretofore in the book of Acts, the religious Jews had feared the people. You may recall at the end of chapter 2, the church had favor with all the people. In chapter 4, they only threatened Peter and John. 
because of the people. At the end of chapter 4, great grace was upon them all. In chapter 5, great fear came upon all those who heard of the fate of Ananias and Sapphira, and I should say so. (laughs) Also in chapter 5, the people magnified the apostles. At the end of chapter 5, Gamaliel convinced the council to refrain from these men and let them alone. But now, all of a sudden, we are beginning to see the shifting tide among the people against this church in Jerusalem. And those in power who cannot overcome others by their own arguments and reason will resort to force if left unchecked. If, un- if left unchecked by the people, that is. We the people. Our nation's founders understood the corruption of government. They were coming out of that. And if you read their writings, you'll see they understood full well the dangers of the system we have in place. You let one of these get out of, get out of balance, you're going to have issues. There's a reason why we have three branches and they're supposed to be equal. You let them get out of whack, what happens? You end up with corruption. And, and they understood all this and they were fighting to come out from under tyranny to set up a system with these checks and balances. We were founded as a republic. That's important. And what it means is the power is ultimately held by the people. doesn't feel like that today, does it? In, in Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, he desired that our government of the people, by the people, for the people, would not perish from the earth. But now look how far removed we are from our founding. And what are we beginning to witness? We're beginning to witness the stirring up of the people. By who? Get this now. By the governmental officials. I mean, if you're plugged in, you know what I'm talking about. We've got the governmental officials saying, no, you ought to go out there and you ought to do this and this and that. Stirring up the people. Just like we see in our text. I hate to keep hammering this, but it's the same tactics by Satan on display before our very eyes. It's interesting to note in our text how this is the Pharisees stirring up the people. The the Pharisees controlled the synagogues, the Sadducees controlled the temple. And we know from verse 9 that these are those who are of those various synagogues that are listed. Why are the Pharisees finally rising up here? Because really they've been silent except for those on the council. You remember Gamaliel, he was a Pharisee and he's like, just leave him alone. He kind of had this neutral almost approach. And why all of a sudden now are the Pharisees beginning to kick this thing in and and come against uh, the church? I believe the Pharisees here, they're finally rising up because of what they charged Stephen with. In verse 11, they said, he spoke blasphemous words against Moses. In verse 13, they said he spoke blasphemous words against the law. And in verse 14, Jesus would change the customs which Moses delivered us. Now remember, when we think about the Pharisees, they were the ardent followers of the law. Sadducees were, they were a different group. The Pharisees and the scribes always mentioned together because the scribes transcribed the law. The Pharisees kept that law. And so the Pharisees were, were, were a different form of followers of the law. But they twisted it. They, they twisted the true, they twisted it into their religion, a, a true form of legalism. Legalism is a word that's misunderstood today. People today, if, if a pastor or somebody in the church says, Hey, would you mind not doing that here? Oh, that's just a legalistic church. No, no, no. That's not what legalism is. 
That's a standard. Legalism is when we add something that says, this is what it takes for you to be saved. They were guilty of adding circumcision, those who said they were in Christ. And so what the Pharisees has done, they, they weren't even in Christ. They had this whole oral thing that said, this is how you have to be deemed righteous. You have to keep all these things, things that are not even in the Word of God, things that they had added. And so the Pharisees are finally rising up because they're charging Stephen with, he's wanting to change Moses. Well, who's Moses? Moses is up here. That's who we worship. He's trying to change the customs of Moses. And so now they're upset. See, Stephen comes on the scene preaching how Christ is going to change the customs of Moses, delivered us. But what was Stephen doing? He was, he was merely telling them everything that God said was going to come to pass anyway. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you. Him shall you listen to. And Stephen comes on the scene and, and he's just giving them everything that God said was going to happen anyway in his word. You can't be saved by keeping the law. He comes on the scene preaching. The law points to the Messiah. They needed faith in the Messiah to be saved, as do we. But of course, they did not see Jesus as the Messiah, and they only referred to Him rudely as Jesus of Nazareth. Early on, it was called the sect of the Nazarenes. Nothing gets lost people more riled up quicker than telling them their religion cannot save them. I think it may have happened here recently inadvertently. Somebody wanted to come forward and get baptized. I ain't seen them since. We said, you're not ready. Religious people get upset when you start to tell them that's not how you get saved. What do you mean it's not how I got saved? That's where grandma went to church. All right, I'm going to get off on that real quick. If you want to get religious people fired up, and I'm not saying that you, you, you want to do that, but you tell them this, and then you tell them there's only one way to God, and that's through Christ alone. And so sure enough, the Pharisees who literally made the, the stringent keeping of the law as the standard of their righteousness before God, now they're no longer neutral when it comes to the sect of the Nazarenes. Not to mention, don't forget in verse 7, that now a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. They may have been content seeing this fizzle out, when old Gamaliel said, let's just see how things go. We killed the leader, it's going to die. Just let it go. Well, that's not happening. Now all of a sudden, their own priests are coming to the faith. And so Jesus, he's off the scene, but they're still losing their own members to this group of Christ followers, and now they finally had enough. I think it's worth just pausing and saying, okay, why does God allow this kind of thing to happen? There, there's, there's great things happening here. There's people being saved. There's signs and miracles, wonders being done. The, the church has settled this problem they had earlier in the chapter and, and things are starting to click again. And like I've been saying, there's a tidal wave coming now. We'll see it in the following chapters. But why does God allow this to happen? Why would He permit... Hey, why would He permit a group of people to be present this day? that Stephen is preaching the gospel, why would God allow somebody to come and join in against Stephen in the church? I thought God loved us. I thought He wanted the Word of God to go forth. 
Why this, this pushback? Isn't this counterintuitive to reaching the lost? The answer is no. God is still in complete control here. What we are beginning to see here is how God is setting the stage to use this event, Stephen being killed, using this event to reach out into the world with the gospel. Remember, up to now, they're, they're stuck in Jerusalem. And God, What did God tell you? Look, you need to go into all the world. They're not doing that. We'll see this in detail as we come to chapter 8. But with the people being stirred up, it fuels the council's desire to disregard Gamaliel's advice. And now they are ready to kill a follower of Jesus' doctrine. This is huge. They're now ready to take this leap into killing a man. And yet, through the persecution of Stephen, through him being martyred, the gospel is going to begin to go out to the world. You know, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are past finding out. After Stephen is martyred, we'll read in Acts chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore... They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. What a blessing. Or excuse me, preaching the word. God did not want the gospel to remain in Jerusalem. Jesus told them uh, before He ascended, go into all the world, preach to every creature. They're not doing that, so God is now prodding them along. And I've mentioned earlier in this series, listen to me again, please. What will be a hardship to the church will end up being a blessing to the lost. So don't, listen, this is important if I'm losing you. Don't allow the shifting tide that we see against us in America, because there is a tide against Christianity. Don't allow that to, to get you to believe the gospel cannot go forth with great effectiveness. Because here's where people get. They get the mindset of, well, it's the last days. It's going to wax worse and worse. I did my best. No, no, no. God uses that shift against them in a way that's going to benefit the world. And so the hardship that these men, these people, these families, this, this church is going to face. Of course, Stephen's going to pay the ultimate price here. But this hardship, it's actually God's way. You say, I don't like God's way. I didn't ask if you did or not. That's between you and God. This is God's way of getting them moving out so that the gospel, what did I say this morning, could go to the nations. And here we are today. It's gone to the nations. Why did we come to this land? Persecution. It's amazing. And so don't get the idea that here we are in America. It's getting worse and worse. Listen, it's been way worse than it is right now in America. Let's just go ahead and get that settled. 
but we get this idea that we, we're just not going to be as effective. No, no, no. We can still be effective. God still is in control, and, and God knows exactly what He's doing. Remember Paul's words to the Corinthians. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. God is at work today to fulfill all His purposes. It may not look the way we want it to look, but He's at work. And some need to spend... Better be careful here, I'll get some, get some Fox News dwellers mad at me. Some need to spend less time trying to figure out everything. Stop offering up all of your conspiracy theories and just get busy doing what God has called us to do. You ain't changing God's outcome anyhow, no matter how much you figure it out. Well, I'll tell you what, I read a newspaper article and I took the first letter of every second paragraph and it said this. Well, the Antichrist must be CBS. I don't know. No, just stop. Just get to work. I got nothing against CBS. Don't, don't give me hate mail. I don't even know why that jumped out of my mouth. But some people think they've got it all figured out. This is how everything's going to go down. Just be about the Father's business. Amen. Say, what's that? Reaching the lost. <sighs> well, we'll leave it there for tonight. I got to get Adrian out of the nursery. Amen. Is there anyone here tonight that is still stuck in religion? You know deep down you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Would you swallow your pride? Stop with your religion. Enter into a relationship with God through Christ. Maybe there's some Christians here and really, you just need to stop worrying about the future. Start serving God in the present. You're not changing the future. So get busy. God has it all under control, and we just need to trust Him with the results. Let's pray.